Welcome to the Perfect Faith Podcast. I'm Kirk Klingerman, your host. This is Episode 7 of Season 4. So glad you could join me. We are continuing on with the book Perfect Faith, His Faith, Not Ours. And we'll be jumping into Chapter 7, which is entitled His Faith Works by Love. But before we do that, I want to make a, a little announcement. Last week I mentioned a, a guy, a man, named Pablo Acosta who is the host of Benching in the Kitchen, who, which is a podcast I do highly suggest that you go check out if you haven't already, and then maybe share it with some friends while you're at it. Anyway, we scheduled to interview next week, next Wednesday, on the 7th. But we will air that on the 22nd of October of 2020, in case you're wondering what year. Uh, in the event that you don't hear this this year. At any rate, um, we've got, like I said, two more chapters. There's nine total in this book. We just want to go ahead and get this series finished out. But there is a major change-up taking place when we go into that podcast because then we're going to turn this into both an audio and a video version of the podcast. So this will be available on YouTube and whatever other sites that will show clips, such as Facebook and the other platforms. So this way you're going to be able to see who's on the other side of this mic. And that includes the guests that we'll have on here as well. We're going to try to do them both if they don't mind the video, which most of them I think will be good with that. At any rate, we're really excited about making this change up. I think it'll be something that'll be beneficial to everybody. But at any rate, Pablo Acosta is going to be here. October 22nd, look forward to it. Put it on your calendar. So with that, let's go ahead and jump into chapter 7. His faith works by love. Reason. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. He that loves not knows not God, for God is love. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. 1 John 4, verses 7 through 10. By virtue of his very nature, everything God has done or will ever do for us is based upon his love. Mercy and grace were extended to us through Jesus Christ because of his love. We love him because he first loved us. As a gentle reminder for those who may struggle with the idea that God loves you, if you love him, it's because he loved you first. The reason for the emphasis on love in this chapter is that to truly embrace the principle of his faith, we need to embrace his love. To wholeheartedly receive what God is doing in our lives more readily, we need to get beyond head knowledge and come to a heart knowledge of that love. Whereas knowledge is recognition or the what, wisdom is the application or the how and purpose or intent. Understanding fits things together like a puzzle, often by reason of experience, hence the why. Get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not. Neither decline from the words of my mouth. Forsake her not, and she will preserve you. Love her, and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, 
and with all you're getting, get understanding. Proverbs 4, verses 5 through 7. Understanding means insight, discernment, or comprehension. When we go through some life experience and afterward we see the principle relating to it in the Bible, we are more apt to gain a deeper understanding of those principles quicker than if we hadn't. Conversely, we may learn a principle in the Word only to gain a fuller understanding after we go through the process of experience. For instance, when I was in the Air Force as a jet engine mechanic, in order to become one, I had to go through technical school to gain the knowledge necessary to fulfill the position. However, schooling alone did not qualify me to fix jet engines. It did not give me the efficiency that one gains with hands-on experience. I still needed a trainer. I still needed on-the-job training because I still lacked the experience necessary to fully understand how things were best put together. Vanessa learned through experience, not by knowledge alone. People say that experience is the best teacher, but in truth, Holy Spirit is the best teacher who uses experiences to bring greater understanding of God's principles minus the strongholds incurred through natural or carnal reasoning. Because of His love, not only does God use those things we have experienced for our good, but also for the good of others, even what we may have considered hell on earth. How many ministries have been birthed out of adversity? works. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision, but faith works by love. Galatians 5 verse 6. Faith is a key to God's promises in achieving His purposes for our lives, but love is what turns that key. Case in point, because of love, the faith of Jesus reconciled us unto God. Anything done apart from love is nothing but dead works. True circumcision has to be of the heart, and a heart that is truly circumcised walks in love. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tingling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, And though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profits me nothing. Charity suffers long and is kind. Charity envies not. Charity vaunts not itself, is not puffed up, does not behave itself unseemly, seeks not her own, is not easily provoked, thinks no evil, rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Charity never fails, but wherever there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 8. Even though this passage of Scripture is often referenced, especially in weddings, do not take it for granted. It is a vital chapter in our walk with God. The Greek word for love in Galatians 5, 6 is the same word used here, which is rendered charity. It is the perfect kind of love that seeks to benefit others. It is pure in the sense that its only motivation is to bless the recipient with no strings attached. It is not based on what the recipient has to offer, nor does it look for reciprocity. Furthermore, it's not based on feelings of warmth associated with brotherly love, 
which is founded on friendship or common interest. To put it in perspective, God's love is willful towards us in its direction. It involves doing what is best for us, not necessarily what we want. When we read 1 Corinthians 13, we're not only reading about God's love, but also his character. As we've already read, God is love, and so we find that he is very patient or long-suffering. He is the kindest person we will ever meet, period. He rejoices in truth and quietly covers or bears all things. God believes, hopes, and endures all things. These are all characteristics that are to be part of us, as we are called to share in His holiness. We also find that He is not envious or vain. He is not puffed up, nor does He act indecently. He does not selfishly pursue His own things, nor is He easily provoked. He does not think evil, nor does He rejoice over wrong, nor judgment for that matter. God never fails. Interestingly, as we examine 1 Corinthians 13, we find that love operates by the principle of deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. We already saw in verse 1 through 8 that there are seven things love does, and none of them are self-centered. Because love is not self-centered, there are nine things listed that it does not do. Love crucifies the flesh and will not allow faith to be used by pride, by reason of pride, ego, or arrogance. Love maintains the daily death of I die daily. Ultimately, love enables one to be crucified with Christ. The more we love God, the more we want the removal of those things that hinder us from a close relationship with Him. Hence, love embraces the crucifixion because it is the way to God. Jesus embraced the crucifixion out of love for the Father because it opened the way for us to come unto Him through faith, which also reveals His love for us. We embrace the crucifixion of the self because it enables us to love him out of a pure heart. Love also avoids leaving stumbling blocks for others by misuse of faith. It won't criticize others for their lack of faith. It seeks to edify and encourage them to walk in the faith. In short, love is not self-serving in any way. Faith based on love seeks to benefit others. Boldness as we have known and believed the love that God has to us, God is love. And he that dwells in love dwells in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear has torment. He that fears is not made perfect in love. 1 John 4, verses 16 through 18. God's love calms our fear of death and judgment. It is the element that enables us to come boldly to the throne of God. With love comes trust, and our ability to trust Him is often contingent on experiences we've had in life. We touched on a subject that merits another look, using a similar example as found in chapter 1. Those who had dysfunctional childhoods with extremely abusive fathers would be more apt to view God, the Father, as abusive. If their earthly fathers abandoned them or were seldom there, there would be a tendency to consider God as unreliable. There would be the propensity to be very skeptical about anything relating to His love for them. In short, 
How could they trust an invisible God and Father if they couldn't trust their visible earthly fathers who were supposed to be trustworthy? On the other hand, those who had loving earthly fathers who were always available would be more apt to regard him as a loving, trustworthy father. Past life experiences can affect our perception of love, including God's. One of the reasons the Lord will allow us to go through difficult experiences is so that we can come to a greater understanding of love. Through the process of experience, our faith in Him solidifies and grows as we find Him faithful in spite of any contrary opinion we may have held. It is one thing to read about another person's journey of faith in the Bible or perhaps hear about someone else's experience, but it's quite another to experience it for ourselves. In the process, we may indeed come to the realization that God does love us after all. Sometimes it is easier for us to believe it for others. On the other hand, in our personal life, it can be a stretch, especially if our past experiences don't quite ring true to what we should expect according to the Word of God. We may even undergo new experiences that either parallel past events or remind us of old ones in order to bring healing to old wounds. Let's face it, there are many who have buried wounds that have never been treated. Those wounds often hindered relationships with others, including God. They need to be brought to the surface so that they can be seen for what they are and finally be healed. Later in the book, we will deal more thoroughly with this issue. Suffice to say, when we are going through something difficult, look for God in the event. When we come into the place of trust, we come to the place of feeling secure enough to be bold in the faith. If we are willing, God is able to bring us to the place of confidence and enjoyment of His love. With God's true love comes a true walk of faith. Fellowship Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. 1 Peter 1, verse 9. In the end, the purpose for our faith is the salvation of our souls. But the purpose of that salvation is fellowship with God. Once more, it is this same perfect love that removes doubt, worry, and mistrust. The things we do, such as prayer, ministry, and so on, should be the result of our love and fellowship with God. Fellowship with Him is not the result of what we do. It's who we are as His children. And that is the result of what he did through Jesus Christ and the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Fellowship and worship go hand in hand, and with them, there is intimacy. Faith also results from fellowship because there is dialogue in it. In order to have dialogue, there must be both speaking and listening. Remember, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. A listening heart that loves God is prepared to receive His Word, which in turn ministers faith to the hearer. When we enter into the place of prayer because of our love for Abba, we are more concerned about what he has to say. We are more interested in what's on his heart than what's our own agenda. Ask him to share his agenda and reveal his perfect will for your life at this point and in the future. When we come to be intimate with Daddy, we put away the distracting thoughts which includes daily concerns and instead simply delight in Him. Furthermore, if we stop and listen long enough, He can lead us by Holy Spirit in the most effective way to pray for any given situation. Jesus taught us to pray, Your will be done. 
Therefore, it's advantageous for us to wait on him to lead us in how to pray over any given circumstance or person. When we pray according to his will, we have confidence that he hears us. And if he hears us, we know that we also have what we desire of him. Even our prayer life takes on a whole new dimension when we think in terms of intimacy and fellowship. Think of prayer as something we get to do with Daddy instead of something we have to do. We do it because we love him and his company, and yes, because he loves ours. People often ask for a ministry or provision for their ministry before learning how to minister to God, much less actually ministering to him. They are wrapped up with the phenomenon of ministry or perhaps communion without being wrapped up in him. Some even seek communion because they want the ministry. Provision and ministry should be the result of communion with Father, not the other way around. Otherwise, the ministry becomes a God. Some are more interested in the goosebumps associated with praise and worship than the actual edifying of the Lord. When we love God, we want to bless and have communion with Him. When we get that right, He is free to provide the rest. Don't ask for the ministry. Enter into fellowship, and the ministry will follow. Fellowship is the result of love. One of the reasons we study the Bible is to know Him and His ways. Since God reveals Himself to us through His Word, we wouldn't, wouldn't we know Him better if we spent more time in it? Because we love Him, we want to know Him more intimately. By inviting the Lord to teach us through Holy Spirit, we open a door to life and fellowship in the fullness of love. Instead of some dry piece of literature that we study to gain some sort of mechanical knowledge, we come into a well-watered source of life filled with warmth and vibrancy. Truth. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Ephesians 4, verse 15. Speaking the truth in love does not mean merely using kind words instead of being harsh, nor does it mean we avoid speaking what is uncomfortable. It means we declare the truth in love with the intent to edify, help, or even correct another, get this, strictly for his or her benefit. The idea is to avoid speaking just to make ourselves feel better. Likewise, steer clear of speaking the truth in the name of love as a guise to vent while calling it correction. The intent is to better another one in the spirit of meekness without selfish motives which includes the feelings of superiority. Looking at Jesus as our example in Mark 10, verses 17 through 21, a rich young ruler approached Jesus and asked him, What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus responded with, You know the commandments. To which the young ruler replied, Master, all these things I have observed from my youth. Now notice the next statement. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. And said unto him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. Before Jesus spoke, the text said he loved him. Because Jesus loved him, he spoke. This kind of love only desires to benefit the recipient for the recipient's sake alone. Consequently, the words were strictly spoken to help the rich young ruler. That is to say, love was the only reason Jesus said what he did. When we speak the truth in love, love precedes our words. If a word spoken is not in love, it is not truth. 
Moreover, in order for something to be spoken in truth, it must agree with the Word of God. In the same way, people cannot agree together on something that is contrary to His Word and call it the unity of the Spirit. In order for something to be truly in the unity of the Spirit, it must be based upon His truth. If we are going to walk in agreement with God, we cannot walk in agreement with anything or anyone that would cause disunity with Him. If we were to do that, we would be placing other gods before Him. Anything spoken without love is void of truth, and anything spoken without truth is void of love. Love will always speak the truth, and truth is always motivated by love. Again, when we speak God's worth to benefit another, we are speaking the truth in love. When the word spoken is received, and when two or more agree with his truth, they are walking in the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Agreeing with something contrary to God and his word means that the heart is divided. True circumcision of the heart agrees with him. Giving And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profits me nothing. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 3. Giving, if it's to be in the truest sense of the word, must be done in love. Any gift not given in love is not a true gift. Ironically, those who give to gain a reward lose the reward. As previously stated, without love, our giving profits as nothing. For instance, if we give to get, our giving would be as wood, hay, and stubble. It has no eternal value. Unfortunately, People have used manipulation to get offerings, and people have given offerings in order to manipulate God. The provision of the New Testament is the blood of Jesus Christ on God's part and simply receiving it on ours. The resurrection confirmed the finished work of, on the cross. The tithe in the law of Moses does not fall under the new covenant because it's part of the old. As we know, a tithe is a tenth. It's only a portion. Under the New Testament, we were bought with a price, and we are not our own. All that we are belongs to him. Therefore, all we possess also belongs to him. Hence, the rules of giving have changed. The Old Testament tithe is by commandment, whereas New Testament giving is a free will offering. Even Abraham's tithe was a one-time gift given to Melchizedek from the spoils of war, and it was not given by command. Additionally, all the blessings of Abraham are also provided in the new covenant. We cannot hang on to the old while claiming the new. Is that to say we are not to give? Not at all. If anything, by the time we are done with this section, our desire will be to give beyond the tithe plus special offerings. Shouldn't the cry of our hearts be, Freely you have received, freely give? Remember, the blood satisfies the requirements of the new covenant. Our obedience to give should be a byproduct of his provision. If we give to get, we're saying the blood is not good enough. It is not our prayer in the name of Jesus plus tithe or offering that moves the hand of God. It is all Jesus, period. Giving would be then an act of love shown by our willingness to give freely. Our love for God and his people becomes our motivation. Free will means there are no strings attached, understanding that the blessing will come, and yet the blessing is not what motivates us. If there was no blessing to come, would you give anyway? God provides seed to the sower out of love. 
When a person wants to give out of love and has nothing to give, God provides. Let's look at a simple illustration to get the point across. Have you ever noticed when a couple has a baby, the baby's name is added to, a, to birthday cards and gifts? Look at a Christmas present sometime and see if the baby's name is added to the from part of the tag. Did the baby actually contribute? Of course not. The baby lacked the ability. As the baby becomes a young child, the parents may take him shopping and allow the child to pick out a gift. They don't exclude him from the process because he's unable to contribute. They let him participate because he is part of the family. As a child grows older, they may even give him some money so he can buy the present as if he made the provision himself. Of course, they may let him earn the money to purchase something. The point is, it has always been the parent who provided. Because they loved the child and wanted to do things with him, they included him in the act of giving. For us, God makes the provision, you know, the job, the talent, the financial gift, and so on. He's the one who gives us the ability to work, hence the power to get wealth. In everything, it is him, not us. Even the ability to write this book comes from him. The law of Moses was given to teach the children of Israel obedience. In it, they found that the blessing comes with obedience. Another reason for the law was protection. We see this is true in relation to the tithe as well. I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. Remember that the law did not incorporate faith. As a believer, we are called to walk by faith. Therefore, our motivation to give cannot be the fear of loss. The key is obedience. Because of our love for God, as we submit everything to Him, we allow Him also to lead us in our giving. Furthermore, as we become more kingdom-minded, our desire to give will greatly increase. It perpetuates because our desire to give will be greater today than yesterday and tomorrow more than today. But this I say, he which sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he which sows bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according to as he had purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 7. The word cheerful means to be benevolent or favorably disposed. It means to be of a ready mind and includes being prompt or willing with joyousness attached to it. A cheerful giver is one who desires to give quickly. In fact, one cannot help but give. As cheerful givers, our heart is fully into it. It's part of the new nature. Moreover, brethren, we make it known unto you of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yes, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And as they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1-5 through 5. The churches of Macedonia serve as a great example to what it means to be a cheerful giver. These churches gave under severe conditions, not when everything was perfect. The word liberality means sincerity or purity. 
The root of this word means single or figuratively clear, and therefore it is not duplicitous in nature. In other words, liberality means without an ulterior motive. It is single in motivation, as in singleness of heart as unto Christ, found in Ephesians 6, verse 5. In Romans 12, verse 8, we find another rendering of this word. He that gives, let him do it with simplicity. It is purity of motivation resulting in generous giving. These believers begged and pleaded to be allowed to give, which in their minds was another way to ministering to others. They were willing to go beyond their ability to give, but there is a very important key to their giving. They first gave themselves to the Lord. When we fully give ourselves over to God, we become willing to give all that we have because all we have is His. The Macedonian believers were kingdom-minded and very much concerned with the will of God in that they gave themselves to others. They did not do something because it was a good thing to do. They did it because it was the right thing in the eyes of the Lord. This example of cheerful giving shows us that giving should be the result of willingness, not reluctance or feeling pressured. For if there first be a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man has, and not according to that he has not. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 12 A willing mind means readiness of mind, predisposition, or eagerness, and is similar to the word cheerful. An acceptable gift or offering is one given with eagerness. Doesn't a willing mind follow a loving heart? Our giving, which includes ourselves and all we have, proves the sincerity of our love. If we love someone, we will give ourselves for him or her. If we love God, we will do more than just give to him. We will offer the best of who we are and what we have. Honor the Lord with your substance and with your first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your presses shall burst out with new wine. Proverbs 3 verse 9. The word substance refers to wealth or riches. First fruits means first in place, time, and order, or rank, or chief. Here are some meddlesome questions. When you get your paycheck, what is your first consideration as to the way it is appropriated? In the morning, who is the first one to whom you say good morning? When making plans, where does the Lord fit into the equation? When we put God first in everything, He will bless us in ways that go beyond the natural realm though he does bless there too. When people say they don't have time to pray, read his word, or give of themselves to him in some other way, they haven't put him first. If we love him, wouldn't we find ways to bless him? How willing are you to sow into your relationship with God? Giving should not become an issue of pride in which we try to prove how much we love God. Just love him and let Holy Spirit lead. Finally, God gave his best, and keeps on giving, and even when we're unaware of it, more. Again, consider Jesus. The things he does are the result of his love for the Father and the fellowship they have together. Moreover, the things Jesus does are also the result of his love for us. The fellowship we have with him is the result of our love for him. Consider this. Galatians 5, 6 says, Faith works by love. And 1 John 4 verse 8 says, God is love. Would it therefore be correct to say that faith works by God? If we want more faith, then we need more of God. More God means more love and faith. 
And that concludes chapter 7. Next week we will uh, get out of the box, which is found in chapter 8. But until then, let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters and ask that you bless them profoundly. I thank you for helping them to connect your love to your love in unique ways because the relationship with you is unique. I pray for those who are out of work and they're looking for a job and I thank you for making that provision. I pray for those too who might be looking to create a new business and ask that you give them the creativity to do just that. I also thank you in the meantime that their households are sanctuaries of peace that your peace is truly ruling in each one's heart. Thank you, Father, and just, again, just let them have a greater revelation of who you are in their life. In Jesus' name I pray. Well, be blessed, my friends.